0: Um, the Lord has prepared uh, so much for us today. So we'll be hearing God's word. Uh, we're starting a new series and Nathaniel will be speaking to us. Um, as he comes up, we're going to pray for him so that he will minister under the power of the Holy Spirit and that the Lord will also help us to hear. Let's pray for Nathaniel. God, we just thank you for your servant. Um, you have been using him and we pray that today in this service you will use him anew. You refresh him and give him insight. All that you have been telling him over the time he was preparing for this uh, message. We pray that the Holy Spirit will help him to communicate it clearly in Jesus name.
1: Amen. 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 Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you all. Hi. So over the next six weeks, uh, we in our teaching series, we're going to be looking at uh, a book. Oh, I meant to bring it up with me. There we go. Uh, "Emotionally Healthy Church" by Peter Scazzero. Uh, two years ago, I was on retreat in the Peak District, and over that time, I read "Emotionally Healthy Leader," it's by the same author, and I'd had. I've had many come to Jesus moments in my life where the Lord's really met me, often in my pain, and He's begun to graciously put His finger on areas of of my life where He wants change and growth. And as I read this book, I began to realize oh no, (laughs) in many ways, I am not very emotionally healthy. and the unfortunate, but probably not very surprising thing is, I thought I was. <laughs> uh, as I read, and can I continue to meet with God in quiet? A hunger began growing in me. I, I want to change, I want to mature. I have um, quite a strong personality and have probably even a stronger sense of direction, but I was becoming more aware of how I was hurting, but how I was also hurting other people. Uh, often the ones closest to me. This is a quote from the beginning of this book. The sad truth is that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church and those who claim no relationship to Jesus Christ. Even more alarming when you go beyond the praise and worship of our large meetings and conventions and into the homes and small groups, meet, small group meetings of God's people, you often find a valley littered by broken and failed relationships. I knew the Bible well. I regularly told others about Jesus. I prayed every day. I often fasted too. Um, but if I was honest, there was a lot of me that I didn't really like. Didn't often didn't like being me. Uh, on the outside, my life looked. Uh, Quite successful, and that's how I'm. I'm wired. I I want to win. (laughs) I'm competitive, Uh, but my need to win was hurting me and and hurting other people. Without divulging too much of my personal story, of which lots of people in this church are quite quite aware of, um, I began to lose. Things unraveled very quickly, and I know. The binary between winning and losing might feel quite uncomfortable to some people. and It's probably not a very healthy binary, but it, this is my makeup. Um, and in some ways, the desire to win is my best attribute, but it also casts quite a long and dark shadow. Over the past two years, like since reading this book or engaging with emotional health, um, Without knowing what was about to transpire in my life and in the life of my family, I've been forced into thinking pretty deeply um, about these things that we'll be looking at over the next six weeks. On the surface, I was spiritually mature, but in many ways, an emotional infant, and maybe at best, a teenager. Um, It's been painful, and whilst I honestly wish it wasn't a personal... Crisis that led me to explore these areas of my inner life. I am grateful to God for leading me, and I'm I'm still growing. (laughs) I'm not saying, and I've done it. I've completed it. Been to the mountaintop, and I'm going to tell you how to get there. No, I'm still growing. Um, And if anything, I'm just becoming more aware of my shadow, which is better than living in ignorance of it. Um, Jesus is the most human human who has ever lived. I'll say that again. I think it's really important. It's going to be a very important aspect of this series. Jesus is the most human human who has ever lived. Yes, he was God in flesh, but some things, sometimes we don't always emphasize that he is the model of what a human being can be. He is, he is everything and at the top of what a human being can be. He weeps. He is deeply moved with compassion for others. He gets angry. And sometimes he gets really, really angry. He loves, he laughs, he enjoys a party. He tells his friends when he's tired. He tells the truth, even when it's difficult to tell the truth. He's brave, he's courageous, he's aware of temptations, and he's honest about them. He is humble, and yet he is completely aware of who he is and what he brings. Our goal is to become more human, to grow and mature as human beings. And not only so that we might have better self-talk, you know, we might improve our mental health, become more productive members of society, uh, but much more so that we can love God and other human beings the way that Jesus did. Here's some examples from the book um, where there might be a disconnect between your spiritual maturity and your emotional maturity. The board member who never says I was wrong or sorry. The children's church leader who constantly criticizes others. The high control small group leader who cannot tolerate different points of view. The middle-aged father of two toddlers who is secretly addicted to pornography. The 35-year-old husband busily serving in the church, unaware of his wife's loneliness at home. The worship leader who interprets any suggestion as a personal attack and personal rejection. The Sunday school teacher struggling with feelings of bitterness and resentment towards the vicar, but afraid to say anything. You might see yourself in one or a few of those, or you might see someone that you know and love in one of those. Uh, over either this evening or tomorrow morning, we'll be sending out an inventory. It's kind of like a survey, which is towards the start of the book, which is kind of um, uh, measuring, trying to work out How mature are you in your emotional health? Really encourage us all to engage with this material. I find it so helpful. And if you find in some areas of your emotional health that you are an emotional infant or an adolescent, then just join the club. (laughs) (laughs) We already come to Jesus and his family of the church uh, formed by the family that we grew up in. There may have been other events, and there's possibly been traumas that have shaped who you are today, but for most of us, much more than our genes, our genetics, it's our families that we were raised in that have formed us in how we are in our emotional health, how we relate to others, how we deal with conflict, etc., A lot of people don't really start to address issues from childhood until they're middle-aged, when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. Often when things have gone wrong, things have gone wrong in relationships often. But as the family of the church, we have an opportunity to be re-familied, re-familied, a new process of formation to be more like Jesus, to become more human. That's quite a long introduction of us. That's what happens, isn't it, when you start a sermon series. So I'm just going to share two points on the first part of today's talk, which is look beneath the surface. And we're going to start with the gospel, and Pippa is going to come and read to us this passage from Colossians. So let's stand together uh, out of reverence for the reading of God's word, and Pippa uh, will read it.
2: Hello. This son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn, firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood and shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and freedom from accusation. If you continue in the faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which Paul, um, I Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Amen. Put your seats. So, uh, this this first point is the gospel, the safety net. Of God's love and grace. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said, the gospel is something that every believer must constantly be reminded of. The gospel is something that every believer must constantly be reminded of. We don't graduate from the gospel. It's something that we need to chew on and reflect on every day. There is such a thing as sin, uh, that there is brokenness in this world. So the Anglican confession goes Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought and word and deed through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate faults. And we are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. Our sin problem is inevitably much greater than we might be aware of. The, the, book, of Prover- um, the, the, the book quotes a saying of the Puritans, uh, if God allowed us to see just 1% of our sin, we would fall down dead. But the gospel, which means good news, adds an almighty but, the most glorious nevertheless to even the most fervent introspection of our souls, that you are loved unfathomably, without limit, by God your Father, that you are secure in him. Though once you were far away, now you have been brought close. The truth of our acceptance in Jesus, that we are secure in him, means that we can take an honest look about ourselves beneath the surface you've got nothing to prove I've got nothing to prove because he has promised as Pippa read in the scripture come what may he will present you holy unblemished free from accusation not because of what you might do but because what he has done on your behalf So the gospel is like a safety net for us as we explore emotionally healthy church as we begin this journey. Um, You may be keeping up appearances, you know, not willing to take off a mask, but you can fall. You can be wobbly. You can be yourself. And if you do fall, as it says in Deuteronomy, underneath are the everlasting arms. He's got you. That's what it means to be secure. So a a question for you. um, I won't ask you to talk with your neighbor about it because it's probably too deep and sensitive. But what consumes more of your mental energy? Is it anxiety? uh, Worrying about unhelpful patterns of behavior? Might be feelings of rejection, feelings of shame. Or do you spend a lot of your mental energy dwelling on the gospel, how you're secure in him, thankful for what he's done on your behalf, that you are loved more than anyone else could love you in Jesus? In terms of emotional health, it may be some of us focus much more on our sin. And when I say sin, I mean it broadly. I don't just mean the things you do wrong, but I mean the things that other people have done to you as well, that have wounded you and and formed who you are today, that we might uh, focus on how much God loves us. Uh, This is um, a quote from Jay Stringer, who's a Christian therapist. Approaches to healing that are centered on what is wrong with us will never lead to the type of transformation we desire or deserve. The gospel teaches us we are the beloved. The gospel teaches us we are the beloved. If being part of this worshiping community teaches you anything or you learn anything about, uh, in terms of encounter or by revelation, m- my prayer, that's a sincere prayer, is that if there's anything that you learn being part of fountains is that you come to a knowledge of being the beloved in God. That he loves you and that's that's something more and more that i am is seeping into my soul that he knows you better he knows you better than anyone else he looks beneath the surface and yet loves you more than anyone else could looking beneath the surface this is a quote from proverbs The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one with discernment can draw them out. It was uh, the psychologist Freud who first came up with this analogy of the iceberg that perhaps there might be 10% of our lives that is external, that people see, we present to the world, and like an iceberg, hidden beneath, there's 90% that is private and secret. Some of us, are attuned with what's going on in this 90%, and others of us are less so. Some of us have very good language to articulate. If someone asks you, how do you feel? Others of us, if we're asked, how are you? No, how, how are you? Oh, find that question hard to answer. I see a couple of people shrugging their shoulders. So. Um, but we know, even if we lack words to describe how we are, The body keeps the score. It comes out of us in outbursts, in illness, uh, in negative emotions and stress, uh, sleeplessness, sweaty palms, racing hearts. Again, because of the gospel, we ought to feel able to be honest with what's really going on without fear of condemnation for that you know, is a lovely verse that Christians can repeat for now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus we ought to feel permission to ask with curiosity what why am i angry what are my sexual fantasies telling me about myself why do i struggle with that person I know I'm meant to forgive her as a Christian, but why am I finding it so hard? Why do I have to be the best? Why do I procrastinate so much? Why do I feel so uncomfortable in my body, my sexuality, my gender? Knowing that the answer to these questions may be uncomfortable, but will never mean, because of the gospel, that we might be rejected. I don't know whether you find sometimes the word of Scripture jump out of the page. Something that you've read before, but it it, it jumps out of the page and shakes you. Um, I found that last year in a low point. I was uh, arrested by the words of Scripture, and I'm brought to tears. And as I've communicated these words, I've often found myself welling up um, because of uh, the revelation I felt God put in me during that time of reading Scripture. Um, Jesus says it in John chapter 6, The one who comes to me, I will never drive away. The one who comes to me, I will never drive away. And I found that such a precious promise of Jesus that any time we come to him, no matter what we've done or coming to him in vulnerability or in a mess, he has promised, I will will never cast you away. It's what the atonement means. Atonement meaning at one point things were separated, but there was an atonement. One man, things were put together on the cross. And for every believer, it's as if the words of the marriage ceremony, you've probably all been to weddings, is true for you. As the wedding couple have their hands in the air and the vicar proclaims, what God has put together, let no one cast asunder. Let no one break this. Such is our attachment to God. We're going to look a lot more deeply at these things in small groups, but my prayer and hope is it's also in conversations with each other as we go through the series. Might be to invite each other out for a coffee and and begin to ask, "How are you? No, how, how really are you?" And Johnny can shrug his shoulders, and it would be over in five minutes. An espresso—that's all we we'll need. No. <laughs> um, there's a risk that we could become an introspective talking therapy kind of church. you know, Navel-gazing. But God desires that we pay serious attention to our emotional health so that we can become furnaces of love, that our lives would burn with love for God, love for our neighbor, and actually also love for ourselves. I'm going to finish talking in a moment. Um, I I could tell many stories from the Gospels where Jesus goes deeper than the external and looks beneath the surface in the most loving and truthful way. Uh, If you know the story of the woman at the well, Jesus very quickly goes beneath the surface and reveals that here is a woman desperate to be loved and who has been wounded in the most... Horrible ways by neglectful and inconsiderate men. And she's looking for love in all of the wrong places. And Jesus sees her for who she is and and loves her. And she says to all of her friends, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Jesus sees her. He can look beneath the surface and he spoke hard truths but with great love. I'm going to finish by telling a story and then I'm not. And then I'm just going to pray. I'm not going to reflect on the story. I'm just going to read the story. Uh, it's from um, C.S. Lewis's Narnia. It's in Voyage of the Dawn Treader. If you've ever read those books, I'm looking forward to when I can read those to Ivy and Zeke when they're... Uh, education uh, reaches that stage. (laughs) It's not there yet. (laughs) Um, Eustace, a young boy, becomes a big ugly dragon as a consequence of being selfish, stubborn, and unbelieving. Now he wants to change and go back to being a little boy, but he can't do it himself. Eventually, the great lion, Aslan, representing Jesus, appears to him and leads him to a beautiful well to bathe. But since he is a dragon, he can't enter the well. Aslan tells him to undress. Eustace remembers that he can cast off his skin like a snake. He takes off a layer by himself, dropping it to the ground, feeling better. Then as he moves to the pool, he realizes there is yet another hard, rough, scaly layer on him still. Frustrated, in pain, and longing to get into the beautiful bath, he asks himself, How many skins do I have to take off? After three layers, he gives up, realizing he cannot do it. Aslan says, you will have to let me undress you. To which Eustace replies, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate by now. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And then he began pulling the skin off. It hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they didn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft. Then he caught hold of me, And he threw me into the water. It hurt like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me with his paws in these new clothes that I'm wearing. Let's pray. I think if the band could get up as I I pray. Uh, Lord, we uh, commit ourselves to you as we begin on this journey of emotionally healthy church. Lord, help us look beneath the surface in a vulnerable and real way. And Lord, may we be more enamored more in love with the truths of the gospel than we might be with the painful truths of our own patterns of behavior that we've come to uh, want freedom from. Lord, you were the most human human and we pray that you would grow us in everything it means to be human so that we might become fires of love for you, loving you with our whole hearts, and loving our neighbours, and for some of us who might find this difficult at the moment, loving ourselves as well. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.